Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week 5, day 4 of our study of 2 Corinthians. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and today we're talking about 2 Corinthians 7, 8-12. Welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you today. We want to we see you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'm reading today from the NIV. This is 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I do, re- I did regret it. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. I'm going to pause right there. I've always found this interesting that that Paul, you know, kind of sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth here at the beginning. You know, he says, you know, even if he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it, but I do regret it or I did regret it, you know, and and, and so he's, it it can kind of sound like that. And I think what we can read into this here is that Paul is showing us the emotion, right? He's not saying I, I don't regret it, but I do regret it. He's not literally trying to talk out of both sides of his mouth. He's trying to convey the emotion that he had over it. He's saying, I knew I had to do this, and I don't regret doing it. I don't regret causing you sorrow with my letter, even though, like, emotionally, it cost me pain, and I, I want to regret it. Um, you know, that's essentially what he's, what he's showing us here, is, is the emotion that's going on in him. And this is so normal, right? As like a as a parent, if you got a kid that's that's misbehaving, that's not even just misbehaving. But if you got a kid that's going down a road that that you you see, and you know the punishment that you're going to levy on them, it's it's going to hurt. And I'm not just talking about giving a kid a spanking or something. I'm, I'm talking about something bigger than that, where you know you've got to levy some punishment. And you know it's going to hurt them. And I mean, you remember being in this similar situation when you were a kid, and, and, and so you know the pain. You know that you've got to take something away from them that matters to them so they can actually like get this in their head. Man, you hate that. Goodness gracious, you hate that. But you know you have to do it. And so it's that tension of... Man, I really don't want to do this. And then, and then, you know, any parent, you're going to ask them later on. Everyone goes through this. Is man, should, did I do the right thing? Did, should I handle that a different way? And you, you've got these little regrets, and you, you second guess, and you're thinking about, did I should have handled this different? And there's all of those things swirling around, right? It, it's really difficult not to walk through that, right? It's it's really challenging to to not, you know, have those things spinning in your head. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is is explaining here, is he's not contradicting himself. He's expressing the emotion of how how this affected him. Right? That he 
doesn't regret doing it, but he did regret doing it, and and, and all of that. It's it's not that he, literally he regrets it and doesn't regret it at the same time. It's it's the emotions surrounding that that swirl of I know this is the right thing, but oh man. So you can kind of hear the knots in Paul's stomach, but he goes on and he and he and he uses this to explain that you know it's 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 produced godly sorrow. And then he uses this moment to explain the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. I think everyone who's a believer, if you were a non-Christian as as a teen or an, an adult, and you became a Christian, you probably already understand exactly what he's talking about. If you've been a Christian from a young age, you see this in other people. You see the despair that sorrow brings. Right, you see the, the the pain and the hurt with no you know there's there's no silver lining sometimes to to sorrowful things. It's just endless pain. And so as believers, as Christians, there is no endless pain. I mean there can be really intense pain. There really can be very intense pain, but it is never endless pain. It's it's never a bottomless pit of sorrow and despair. But with with the unbelievers, sometimes there really is that intense pain that only looks like a bottomless pit of sorrow and despair. And and when you find yourself in this cycle, this bottomless pit of sorrow and despair, there's no way out of that. Like there's nothing that you can comfort yourself with. Right? There's no way there's no way to put that silver lining on there. And so it, it just it consumes and destroys you. It brings death. Like he says, but godly sorrow brings repentance, right? When we realize that that what we've done is is wrong and destructive, it leads us to repentance and salvation, where there is no regret. Right? You get to walk away from that. But but the 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 worldly sorrow it really does bring death. Verse eleven. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness? What eagerness to clear yourself? What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So, you know, so what, what Paul's saying is, is, you know, by this indictment that he's levied against them, they have, have taken that and, and it wounded them. But the wounding led to repentance that led to them rooting out the, the, the negatives and the evils among them and bringing those things to justice, seeing justice, I mean, removing the evil from their midst. And he says, in this way, you've proved yourself, you've proven yourself to be innocent. Innocence is not, in God's economy, it's not the, the lack of wrongdoing it's the returning to Jesus. It's the returning to our relationship with God where we are made right with him. Our innocence is not paid for by our lack of wrongdoing or our penance. It's paid for by Jesus' blood and that alone. And any time we, we come under the, the washing of Jesus' blood, when we let when, when we put ourselves under the reconciliation of Jesus' blood, we become innocent. That's what Paul is saying here. They become innocent through their repentance. They become innocent through their repentance and making things right. Verse 12. 
So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. So Paul's saying, I didn't, I didn't write to you to try and expose the negative or, or you know, say, hey, he's, he's, he's saying, to, I'm not trying to adjudicate between you. I'm trying to get everyone to return to the Lord. Now, the, the part that he says here about, you know, how devoted to us you are, that's the part that I find kind of, you know, interesting, right? Because all throughout the gospel, it's, it's, it's all about Jesus. But this is a, this is an interesting thing for me. I, I, I love this. It can be, I think, challenging at times, but I love this. And this is something um, I think that gets very, very misused by people, especially in our modern context. Paul has, has talked about essentially, and he, he, he's not shy about this in any of his epistles. All of his letters, he makes it very clear that he feels like he has paid. He, he's paid for his love. He's shown his love for the people that he's ministering to, that he's writing to. And then he's proven that and paid for it by the suffering and all of the negative things that he's endured on their behalf. And the same is here is true in, in, in really in 1st and 2nd Corinthians and he's essentially kind of saying, hey, I love you guys. And I've shown that by, by how much I've gone through. <clears throat> and so th- there is within Christianity, this brotherly love that is, is one of the most important things that we have. It's the, one of the most important aspects of Christianity that we have. I mean, remember, I mean, this is a, a big statement. They, as in the non-believers of this world, non-Christians, they will know that we are Christians by our love. And specifically, what that's talking about is our love for one another, for, for other Christians. They will know that we are Christians, followers of Jesus, by our love for one another. And so what Paul is saying here, I don't think is also self-serving or self-absorbed as it may seem on its surface. I think Paul really is saying is like, listen, you guys are proving your innocence and that you are followers of him because of your love for us, because you've like fixed these situations for us. You've shown your love to us. And that's, that's again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Now this can be severely misused and I've seen it misused You've probably seen it misused, and it's this, hey, I'm the man of God. You've got to be devoted to me, right? You have got to show yourself devoted to me because I'm the man of God. I'm the, I'm the guru who stepped down from my place on high to come and help you plebeians. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if it weren't for me, you proles would just be stuck in what you were in, right? And so I'm, I'm, I deserve that devotion. I deserve your loyalty because I stepped down for you in this way, right? And so, you know, Paul's saying that essentially, I mean, in some ways, yes, he's laid himself down for them, but there's a whole different vibe to this and this guru mentality that we've been talking about this whole week. This this idea that I have come in and, and you know, rescued you. 
man, that is just so, so different than what Paul's saying. And that's the, that's the sense I get from almost everybody who uses this passage and this idea, right? This is a, not just this verse, this is kind of a theme that runs through Paul's writings in the New Testament, right? Is they have kind of bought and paid for you. And so it's not a bad thing that you would have some devotion to me. But he's talking about like through his suffering and through his care and through his ministry of the gospel, not because he is the man of God who stepped down and, you know, just took his incredibly valuable time to, you know, reach out to you. And if you don't, you know, like it, then, well, you know, then you got what's coming to you. It's, it's, it's not that. But again, that's the way that I feel this is most often used, or at least the spirit that it's used in. Now, again, not all the, not all the time, not all the time. I can think of one occasion, I'm not going to talk about that story, um, but I can think of one occasion where I've heard one person speak to a group of people like this, and I think it was actually appropriate. I think it was actually appropriate. It was many years ago, a um, missionary who, who labored with uh, a, a group of people in much in the same way that, that Paul did. But again, that's that's one time that I can think of, and I don't fully know the situation between them, so I can't vouch for it. Um, but it sounded much more like this than everything else that I hear and see. Um, and again, that's not to say that this is never appropriate to do this. I've just, other than that one occasion many, many years ago, I've only seen people try to manipulate and control people and get money out of and extort people using this mentality, using these verses, which is exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying. He's actually speaking against people who do that. And that's the irony of it. That's the irony of it. And very often, the irony is lost on the people uh, trying to do this to others. They, they completely miss that because they are so self-absorbed from the beginning. They only see themselves and what they can get out of other people. And so to wrap all of this up, <laughs> the most challenging part about this, I think for me, is it, it, in some point the most beautiful is that other people, non-believers, they will, if we are truly following him, they really will see that we are Christians by our love for one another, for other Christians. When they see that, it touches them and it can change them. Sometimes it's even more powerful than the, the verbal witness we give off when they see that brotherly affection for one another. It's transformative. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast. And my heart is for people to fall in love with God's word. Thank you.